This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Well, I'm excited about what the Lord's been doing in and through this series we've been in called Renewal. Say it with me, Renewal. We've kind of been looking at Revelation chapter 21 as sort of our template for what God wants to do in our lives by way of his son, Jesus. And Jesus says this in Revelation chapter 21, verse 5. He says, behold, I am making all things new. Say all things. things. Not some things, not a few things, all things. Jesus is committed to restoring and renewing and reviving all things. We are a people that believe in revival. We are a people that believe in renewal. We are a people that believe in restoration. So if you're here tonight and you need any of those things in your life, you've come to the right place. Turn to somebody and say, I've come to the right place today. Some of you aren't so sure yet. That's okay. (laughs) And so we believe that Jesus is committed to this. We believe that he wants to make all things new in the world and is making all things new through us, through his church, through a redeemed people, his family here in the earth. And so we're so excited to be a part of that. We're blessed that God would take people like us, right? Sinners who were once lost in sin, right? Who were, who were stumbling around, fumbling around in the darkness, who God came in and turned the light on for. And so because of that, he now uses us to bring renewal to others. And that's really what we're after when we talk about renewal. We're not just talking about feeling warm and fuzzy because Jesus touched you, although that's great and I love that, but it's about extending what God's done in your heart to other people around you. And we've been talking a lot throughout this last few weeks and actually literally over the last month about what it means to speak life over the dry bones in our valley. And we know this because you guys have lived here, most of you have lived here for a while now, and you know that there are people all around us that need the life of Jesus. They need God to come and to revive and to restore and to renew that which is dead. So tonight we're gonna shift gears a little bit and we're gonna talk about the presence of God because I believe that God has called this church, Courageous Church, to be a presence-driven, say it with me, presence-driven. A presence-driven church. What does it mean to be presence-driven, Pastor Jason? Thank you for asking, class. It means that we're not just in pursuit of more information about God. We are in pursuit of a greater relationship with God. And we believe that God reveals himself in and through his word, which we just talked about, and through his spirit. And his spirit is his presence. The Bible says that God is spirit, and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Meaning there's no other way to come to God, there's no other way to pursue God, but by the power of his spirit. We are a presence-driven people in that we want everything we do to be characterized by being led by the Spirit of God. We want to experience the Spirit of God. We don't just want to sit here and learn more information because information doesn't lead to transformation. Relationship with Jesus and his life-giving Spirit will lead you into a place of transformation and renewal. So that's what we're after when we say presence-driven. We want God's spirit to go before us and to lead us. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans that those that are led by the spirit of God are the sons and daughters of God. And he also says those that he's given the power to become sons and daughters of God are those that are filled with the spirit of God. So to be filled, to be led, to be empowered, those are all synonyms that we like to use a lot in the church to talk about one thing. And it's this, we wanna pursue God with all of our heart 
all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, and we want to help our neighbor along the way. That's my translation and paraphrase for you. So Jesus is coming to us from the throne of God, and he's saying, listen, church, I want to make all things new. I want to restore what the enemy has taken. I want to renew what you thought was dead. I want to revive that dream that you had given up on. Come on. This affects every area of our life. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says it this way. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Say it with me. Transformed by the renewal. Swipe that. Underline that. Highlight that. Grab that. Rip it out of your Bible and put it up on your mirror. Don't do that. You can write with lipstick instead, right, ladies? Okay. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And here's why. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Right now we are living in a day and age where we no longer know what is good and acceptable and perfect because we have all these voices shouting at us, competing for the same space between our ears, trying to tell us what to believe, trying to tell us what to fear, trying to tell us what to eat, trying to tell us what to drink, trying to tell us what to look like, right? All this outside external pressure trying to conform us to what? the pattern of the world. But Paul here, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying, church, wake up. Don't be transformed or don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What this tells me, it's not enough for us just to be saved. We can be saved and still not set free because the minute you step into a relationship with Jesus, the invitation to you is this, to have your mind renewed to think new thoughts, to develop new habits and new patterns of thinking. We call this paradigms, right? You've heard the term paradigm shift. Well, right now what's going on in the earth is a huge paradigm shift. And many people are going to be conformed to the pattern of it. They're going to follow what everybody else is saying. Church, I love you. As your pastor, I love you. And I don't want to see you fall into this trap. I don't want to see you become conformed to the image of the world and what the worldly system is trying to offer you right now. Instead, I want you to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's us saying to God, come and renew our thoughts. Come and renew the way we think. Because as you think, so you will believe. Proverbs says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. The truth is this, your thoughts define you. That's why Jesus said to the Pharisees, you need to clean the inside of your cup. Because it's not what comes into a man that defiles him, but rather what comes out. Just to give you a little insight into the Bible here, when the Bible speaks of heart and it speaks of mind, it's typically speaking of the same thing, okay? So when Jesus is talking about the heart of man, he's talking about your mind. He's talking about your thoughts, the things that define you, the things that are core to you, okay? Hebrews didn't, didn't categorize and, and uh, compartmentalize things the way that we tend to nowadays, for the Jewish mind, the idea that your heart was the center of your life's activity, was the center of your thoughts, it was the center of who you are. So when Paul tells us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to be transformed by the renewal of your mind, he's saying all of you must change. All of you must bow. All of you must respond to this work that Jesus wants to do in your life. And he does it through your thought life. He does it through your mind. Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at what it means to experience this renewal. And if you've missed any of those messages, let me just encourage you. 
as an aside to go back and listen to the podcast or watch those messages on YouTube, because I really believe that the Lord is shifting something within us as a church. I believe that he's taking us from just trying to uh, do good church to becoming the living, vibrant body of Christ on the earth expressed here in Salt Lake City. And we know that we are just a small portion of that. We know that we are just one voice at the table, if you will. But we believe that God is calling us to step up into greater measures of faith, to greater measures of risk, to greater measures of trust. Tonight, I want to shift gears and talk about the presence of God. I want to talk about what it means to value the presence of God. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Exodus chapter 33. That was my introduction. You're welcome. Verses 12 through 17. Uh, We're going to start with verses 12 through 14 here in the ESV. We're going to look at this story today, and this is going to be our primary text that we're going to focus on for tonight. Here's what it says. Verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by my name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, Moses said, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you. Everybody say, know you. In order to find favor in your sight, consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, this is the Lord, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. I want to begin tonight by saying it's in the heart of God for you to experience his presence and his rest. It's in the heart of God, meaning it's not just some idea that someone came up with. It's not just some clever slogan. It's not the trendy thing to do. It's well within the heart of your maker that you would experience his presence. Acts 17 verses 26 through 27 reminds us, from one man he created all the nations throughout the earth. He decided beforehand, say beforehand, when they should rise and fall. That should be good news to us that follow the news. And he determined their boundaries. Verse 27, his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. Did you catch that? God is not far from any one of us. Meaning he wants you to seek after him. He wants you to find him. He's not playing peekaboo with you tonight. He's not playing hide and seek with you. The hidden things that are hidden from you are not hidden from you. They're hidden for you. The hidden things of God, let me say it again, are not hidden from you. They're hidden for you. Meaning they're valuable. They're sacred. The Bible uses the word holy. The holy things of God that belong to his presence and who he is in his person are not hidden from you. They're hidden for you. He wants you to seek and to find. He wants you to reach and discover because guess what? He's not far from any of us guys. In just a few moments, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And in fact, if you have received the Holy Spirit, he's not far from you. He's living in you. Come on, somebody. One of the ways that I believe we get to know God, seek and find God is through prayer. You guys have probably heard me rambling for the last eight weeks about prayer. If you follow me on Instagram or Facebook, you watch the stories that we release. By the way, you really should, if you're not following at Courageous SLC, you should follow because we are putting so much great content on there to encourage you in your faith. 
And a lot of it is of the Spirit, and we want to be a blessing to you. We want to be uh, an inspirational voice and an encouragement to you throughout the week. Amen? So if you're not following us, follow us at Courageous SLC. That's on Instagram and Facebook, okay? But if you've been following some of the things that we've been talking about, we've been talking a lot about prayer. And some of you are like, why is Pastor Jason on this prayer kick? You want to know why? Because prayer changes everything. And you know what it changes most? Us. Prayer changes the prayer. The prayer. <laughs> Not the prayer. The prayer. Prayer. Prayer changes everything. Most importantly, it changes us. It changes us because through prayer, which is simply just having a conversation with God, through prayer, God begins to do something in here. And one of the major things that I believe God does through prayer is he reveals himself in and through his presence. Say it with me, his presence. We're talking about the presence of God tonight. Now, if you missed our 21 days of, pr of prayer and fasting, don't be discouraged, okay? We have put on our website, CourageousChurch.com slash prayer. Write this website down, CourageousChurch.com slash prayer. We have placed on that page a free downloadable prayer guide. Some of you are like, I don't need a prayer guide. I've been praying my whole life. That's great. Good for you. Congratulations. But for the rest of us, who could use a little bit of help with their prayer life? Who hasn't fully arrived yet? Every hand should be up. Okay. What we're doing is we're journeying through different models, what I like to call rhythms of prayer. We're looking at the tabernacle model. We're looking at the Lord's prayer. We're looking at prayers of warfare. We're looking at prayers of protection. We're looking at prayers of healing. We're looking at all that God's word here in this Bible that we are so excited and love says is available to you guys. So don't wait for Pastor Jason or Stephen Furtick or someone to come along to give you permission to get into this because everything that you need is already here. Some of you are like, I haven't heard God's voice. I don't hear the voice of God. Have you opened up your Bible? Because this is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It has the ability to speak to the condition of our hearts. Amen? I'm going to keep this close because I keep referencing it, all right? So, but we are passionate about prayer. Maybe you, you can tell. I'm a little fired up. And we have been praying here on Tuesdays at 7. And I realize some of you work. You have other prior engagements that you're committed to. But I believe God has called this house to be a house of prayer. In fact, when we look at Jesus in his greatest moment of passion, can we say it this way? What was he doing? He was praying. In the Garden of Gethsemane, before he went to the cross, he was sweating drops of blood. And what about the other moment in Jesus' ministry where he was super fired up? He said, my Father's house shall be a house of prayer. And he just starts knocking over all the money changers tables, right? You guys remember that? So Jesus is passionate about prayer. And if Jesus is who we are called to follow and to become like, come on, we got to be passionate about prayer. I recognize some of you are not passionate about prayer because you think it's hard and difficult. I understand. There have been seasons in my life where I didn't feel like praying either because I thought that God was expecting me to come and perform. When what God was asking me was just to open up my heart and to share what was going on. Here's the thing. Let me let you in on a little secret. God already knows what's going on, right? He already knows what you need before you ask. But 
What happens when we pray? It changes the prayer. So it invites us into a relationship where we begin to change, where we begin to have our thoughts renewed. God's listening to me. God's hearing me. God's accepting this prayer that I'm bringing to him right now. And he might even answer it. How about that? So we're passionate about prayer. And I just want to encourage you. I believe that the Lord has called us to carry an anointing for prayer in this valley. Not that other churches don't and not that other churches will. But I know that when times get tough and they have gotten tough and times might get a little tougher, you're going to all be praying. So why not start now? Amen. Why not get into the rhythm of it now? And listen, no pressure if you can't make it on Tuesday. Tuesday is just a great time for us to come together. I really believe that. And I believe that as we come together, we're going to pray for each other. We're going to pray for our city. Come on, we're going to pray for our nation and for the nations. God has called us to intercede. And the ministry of intercession should not scare you. It's just an invitation to say, here's the gap that I want you to step in to speak forth life and to speak agreement with God's word. That's really what we're trying to do. And we want to help you. Because some of you, the answers that you're looking for to the problems that you're facing is not going to be found in getting more money in your bank account. It's not going to be found by getting a promotion. It's not going to be found by having all your ducks in a row. It's going to be found when you hit your knees in prayer. When you grab a hold of this powerful tool that God has given you to both minister to his heart and to partner with him and what he's wanting to do in this earth. That's my plug for prayer. So back to Moses. Here Moses is faced with the challenge of leading the people that God has called him to lead and he feels overwhelmed and he feels alone. Any of you ever felt overwhelmed? Any of you feeling that way right now? Okay, let's be honest. Any of you ever felt alone? Oh, sure. And we can all relate to Moses here, can't we? Because we've all felt overwhelmed and alone. But here's the truth. God has never left us. He has never forsaken us. And we are not alone. Though we might feel lonely, we are not alone. Underline that hashtag that, write that down somewhere because there will come a time when maybe you need to encourage yourself in the Lord. When our team isn't with you and Pastor Jason's not speaking and shouting at you, where you will need to hear that and you will need to convince your soul of it, that I am not alone. God, though I feel lonely today, for those of you that that are not from Utah, you understand this probably more so than the rest of us that grew up here. And by us, I mean my wife. (laughs) But you are never alone. You might feel alone, but you're not alone. And so you need to have this buried in your soul, anchored, centered in it. I mean, throw cement on that sucker and weigh it down so that you can go to that well time and time again and say, God, I know right now, I feel alone, but I know I'm not alone because your presence is with me. Say it with me tonight. His presence is with me. So I want to encourage you tonight, not with just words of comfort and peace, although I I hope that we all feel encouraged, but I want you to experience the very power of God and his presence himself. I love God's response to Moses here in Exodus chapter 33, verse 14. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. I want you to hear that response tonight as if God is saying it directly to you. So close your eyes with me. I'm going to say it again, and I'm going to try to not sound like Pastor Jason all fired up on coffee. I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to hear the Lord saying this to you. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. 
You can open your eyes. Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come to me, those of you who need rest, because he promises to give us rest. And he does so through the person and power of his presence. I want you to hear it as if God is speaking to you tonight, because here's the truth. He is. That is what he wants his church to hear. That's what he wants you courageous ones to hear. Do not fear. Do not be afraid because my presence is going to go with you. Jesus said, do not be afraid because I've overcome the world. So wherever you go, take heart. Be of good cheer. I believe the Lord wants us to know this reality, not just mentally assent to the idea, but I want... I believe he wants us to know it experientially in our heart, right? In that core of who we are. And he's saying to us, like he said to Moses, listen, I know you feel overwhelmed. I know you feel underqualified. I know you feel alone. I know you feel like you're not sure what to do next. Some of you have come out and are coming out of difficult situations right now. And the voices of your past and the voice of the enemy and the voice of the world is all going to get dialed up real loud in these days, guys. And it's going to come at you from all sides. But if you can grab a hold of this one truth, then I don't have to preach the rest of the night. My presence will go with you. Now, for some of you, that might not be enough because you don't know yet what that presence really is. So let me unpack that for you tonight. Are we doing okay? In the Hebrew, the word for presence used in this text and many others like it is the word panim. Say it with me, panim. You're all getting a free lesson tonight. You're welcome. And here's what it means. It means face. It means face. Now, this is what we call anthropomorphic language in the Bible. I know that's a really big and fancy word, y'all. Okay? But here's what it means. Anthropomorphism is essentially the applying of human characteristics or features to God. And we do this to help us better relate to him, okay? The writers of the Bible did this to help us better understand under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit who God is. We see this employed when they would say things like the eyes of the Lord. Anybody ever hear that expression? Or the mighty outstretched arm of God. And we see it here with regards to God's face, with regards to his panim, his presence. Now, as I already made mentioned, we know that God is spirit, right? But if God were to reveal his full self and form to us, chances are all of us would be dead, right? We see that actually in the next few verses right after this, when Moses asked to see God in all of his glory. He says, show me your glory. And God's like, you don't even know what you're asking, Moses. Sometimes when we sing that in worship, sometimes I don't think we know what we're really asking. Glory typically means terrifying weight. It's the heaviness of God's presence becoming manifest among us physically. And it's so overpowering and so overbearing that he can only give us a little taste. He can only give us a little glimpse because if he were to fully reveal it, like we see in Moses asking for that, we'd all be dead. So here's what God says. He says, in order for you to experience just a, a bit of my glory, I'm going to have you hide in the cleft of this rock. All right. I'm going to get you down into this crack and I'm going to cover you with my hand and I'm going to pass by. 
and you'll only be able to see my back parts, all right, or where I've been. And then in verse 20, he says, but you cannot see my face, my panim, for man shall not see me and live. Now, interestingly, the same word for presence used in verse 14, which is panim, is also the same word used here in verse 20 for face. And yet both are conveying a somewhat different point or meaning, aren't they? This tells me that it's really important that we understand how language is used, that we understand how it's used even within the same context. We do this in our own language, don't we? We, we use idioms like, hold your tongue. Now, if I were to say to you, hold your tongue, you wouldn't just reach in and grab your tongue. <laughs> Hopefully not. Or, or we see this in expressions like, that car cost me an arm and a leg. <laughs> Hopefully it didn't literally cost you an arm and a leg. If so, we'll pray for you and maybe God will regrow it, all right? But these are idiomatic expressions to help us understand and relate to what they represent. Well, it's the same way with God's panim and his face here. When God says his presence or his face, his panim is going to go with Moses, he's not talking about his literal face like the one that you see with our eyes. He's talking about what that face represents. And here's what it represents. And we see it carefully spelled out for us in verses 17 through 19. Verse 17, and the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do for you found favor in my sight and I know you by name. And Moses said, please show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness. Somebody say, all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. This translates to Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. In this case, the face of God, the panim, the presence, represented the individual presence of God himself as a person, including his character and all of his attributes. Attributes like his goodness, he tells Moses in verse 19, he's going to make his goodness pass before him. How do you pass goodness before somebody? You don't. He's saying and reassuring Moses that he's going to be good to him. Do you get the idea here? He's assuring Moses that he's got his back. He's going to take care of him. That's kind of important for you to know if God's told you to lead a people into a land where people want to kill you, where you're going to face hostile tribes who want to chop your head off. Kind of good to know that the Lord's going to be good to you. But God also says he will proclaim his name. What's his name? Yahweh. He gives Moses his personal name. And as it turns out, names kind of matter, don't they? Names speak to the person. They speak to who that person is, but also what kind of authority they have and what kind of power they have. God is, is essentially telling Moses, you're going to walk in the power and in the authority of my name. Now, it's important in this setting as well, because if you're going to face tribes that want to kill you, those tribes are going to identify with the God that you're represented by, the God that you worship. All these tribes that we talked about last week were tribes that worshipped many gods, but there's only one God above all gods, and his name is Yahweh. And he tells Moses, you're going to operate in my power. You're going to operate in my authority. You're going to operate in my goodness kind of important for the enemies of the Lord to know that Moses is going to be operating in this power. What is, it, what is it saying? What is it communicating? It's communicating God's reputation. 
You don't think people heard about what happened down in Egypt a few years later or earlier? You don't think the word got out when Pharaoh and his mighty armies were crushed? You don't think it got out when the plagues hit? Come on, and that Nile was turned to blood? The Nile's a long river. You don't think that God's reputation preceded him? Of course it did. So when he's telling Moses, I'm going to proclaim my name over you, he's saying, my reputation's going to go before you. Hang with me now. I know I am, I am threading a very long needle here, okay? But just stay focused. God also says in verse 19 that he will be gracious and merciful to those he wishes to be gracious and merciful to, meaning God is sovereign and God will do what God will do. Here's the good news. What God wants to do is bestow grace and bestow mercy upon people who don't deserve it. Vis-a-vis, i.e., you and I, we have been made recipients of the greatest gifts of God that we could never earn, deserve, or merit. Amen? How many are thankful for the grace and the mercy of God? I'm thankful for those. Moses had to be thankful. Moses was a murderer. He killed somebody. How many of you know if you're on death row, you're going to be thankful for a little mercy? How many of you know if you didn't deserve it, you're going to be thankful for that grace? So he's telling Moses, this is my face. This is my panim, my presence. It's going to go with you. It's going to go before you. It's going to declare goodness. It's going to declare grace and mercy. It's going to declare power and authority. So that everything that you're afraid of is now going to know who goes with you. Church, this is the God who goes with us. It is time for us to stop cowering in fear. It is time for us to stop bowing down. It is time for us to rise up, to stand up, to not be afraid, but to be strong and courageous. It's not just a catchy slogan that we decided to name our church. It really isn't. It's a calling. It's a destiny that awaits every believer in Christ Jesus. There's another layer to this cake that I'm baking here with you. And it's what the word panim is often used in relationship to. If you look up this word in your concordance, which I hope you do, you're going to see that many times and in many contexts throughout the scriptures, the word panim is used with regards to presence and this expression, to turn one's face toward another. Say it with me, turn. There's a turning of God's face and his goodness and his mercy and his grace and his name and his power and his attention toward Moses. This little fragile man. How helpless he must have been. How scared he must have been. And we see this in Numbers chapter 6, verse 22. If we have it, let's put it on the screen. This is sometimes called the Aaronic blessing or priestly prayer. And we see this in verses 22 through 27. It says this, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons. Aaron was Moses's brother and saying, thus shall you bless the people of Israel. And here's what I want you to say to them, Aaron. Are you guys ready? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Where did we just see that? The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel. 
Did you catch it? Name, goodness, face, grace, mercy, blessing. All found in the panim, the holy presence of God. And God says, it's now going with you, Moses. I've turned my face and I've lifted up my countenance upon you. My name will go before you. My goodness will go before you. My grace will go before you. My mercy will go before you. What are you so freaked out about again? What are you worried about? That bill? You worried about Bank of America? Really? You're worried about your mortgage? Really? Now, I joke and I jest because I know that we all tend to stress out about these things, right? Every first of the month, right? Many of you. But God is wanting to encourage us like he did here with Moses. Not to be afraid. Come on, not to freak out, not to worry, but to know that his panim, his face is turned toward us. You are the apple of his eye. You are his finest creation. You are his beloved. You are the one that he loves. God turns his face toward Moses to be favorable to him and to us. I want us to stop and to chew on this just for a moment, or at least to chew on the implications. The God who created the cosmos, the heavens, the stars, the sun, the moon, the angels, the angelic beings, the earth, every living thing in the sea, every living thing on land, you, me, earth above, earth below. This God is now fully focused on Moses. A man who didn't deserve it, certainly a man broken and hurting, scared and alone, someone like us. And here's why I'm excited about this. Because if God will do it for Moses, he'll do it for you. The Bible tells us in Romans, I believe it's chapter 2, verse 11, is it? For God shows no partiality. My King James background would say he is not a respecter of persons. God shows no partiality, meaning if he'll do it for Moses, he'll do it for you. If he did it for David, he'll do it for you. If he did it for Jeremiah and Isaiah and the prophets, he'll do it for you. If he did it for Miriam and Rebecca, come on, and Esther, he'll do it for you, ladies. He'll do it for you because he loves us, because he's for us and not against us, because he's with us. His panim is with us. And perhaps, and here's where I want to pivot tonight before we close, and perhaps even more than what God did for all of those characters in the scriptures. This could be controversial. That's okay. But I believe because of Jesus and what Jesus has come to do, and because of Jesus as the Son of God, fully God, fully man coming to earth, he comes to initiate a new covenant a new relationship with his people whereby we get to experience the presence and panim of God in even newer and more exciting ways through his Holy Spirit. 
Now, this is a little lengthy, but I want to give us some scriptural reference and framework for this. And then we'll close. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 through 18. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves, right? Not that Moses was sufficient in his self to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Remember tonight we were singing, Jesus, you're enough. That word enough means sufficient. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Did you catch that? Our confidence lies in what God has done And we have now been given a new covenant through the Holy Spirit that brings life. But Paul goes on, verse seven. Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not even gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. I know this is lengthy, but keep going. Verse 10, indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. That's a lot of glories. That's a whole lot of glories. He's talking about the difference between the old covenant that brought forth death, that revealed sin, and the new one that brings forth life. And not only does this new covenant bring forth life, but it's full of, guess what? Glory. Say it with me. Glory. And Paul continues, verse 12, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. I love that. Not like Moses. Whoa, time out. Who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not even gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Here's why. Because their minds were hardened. Their minds were not renewed. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. Which means you can know a whole lot of facts about God and have information about God, but still not experience transformation. Because only through Christ is that veil removed. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read... A veil lies over people's hearts, guys. I've seen it. I've experienced it even in in Israel. But when one turns to the Lord, here's the good news and here's the gospel and here's where we're going to land the plane tonight. The veil is removed. What an amazing promise. When one turns to the Lord, some of you are here tonight because the Lord has been turning his face towards you and now you're finally turning your face toward him. You're responding to this grace, to this gospel, to the news of what Jesus already did for you. And you're starting to believe it. You're starting to allow it to permeate your thoughts so that your minds are renewed, so that you can receive his presence and fullness, not as one like Moses, who was part of this old thing, but as those that are a people of promise and new covenant, who can now behold God in all of his glory with faces unveiled. Don't believe me? Verse 17, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled, say unveiled, unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed somebody into the same image from glory to glory to glory to glory. Meaning where you were last month, last year, last decade, ain't gonna cut it anymore because God has more glory in store for you.
He has more presence in store for you. More panim than you've dared to scratch the surface of. The presence of God made manifest through the Son, Jesus, in and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit is what we are now called to behold and be transformed by. Can I say that again? Can we put it on the screen? The presence of God made manifest. That means revealed through Jesus in and through the Holy Spirit is what you and I, as a church, as a people on the earth, are called to behold and be transformed by. Meaning, podcasts alone aren't going to cut it, guys. Four songs and a great message ain't going to cut it. You've got to immerse yourself in the glory of God, in the presence of God, in the panim of God. And it starts with understanding that God has already turned his face towards you. He's already showing up every morning to see if you'll meet him there. And he waits. And if you're like me, you run to your iPhone, you look at all the news alerts, you go to Facebook, you check to see how many people liked your post, you go over to Instagram, ooh, a lot of activity on my story. Then you run downstairs and you throw an Eggo waffle in the toaster or a toaster strudel for those of you that are a little more sophisticated. And then you get in the shower and maybe you sing a song because you like the way your voice sounds because there's lots of reverb. And you get out and you rush into traffic and you speed because you want to get there three minutes faster. Yeah. <laughs> and you cut people off and give them the finger and then say, just kidding, Jesus is the way. <laughs> if you're like me, that's sometimes what you do. But the invitation is to meet him every day because his face is already turned. His panim is already waiting to greet you. What is it again? His goodness. His mercy. What does the Bible say? His mercies are new every morning. His grace, which is more than sufficient and enough. His name, which is his power and his reputation and his authority. His person. He's not just a force, guys. Not just a vibe. Not just a feeling. He's a person. He's waiting for us. His panim waits for us. I said at the start of today, as we close, Sam, you can come. I said at the start that we are a people that want to be presence-driven. We want to be presence-led, but we want to be driven by this pursuit of experiencing more and more of God's presence each and every day to be transformed from one glory to another. Some of you have been satisfied with the glory that you've experienced of God. And listen, there's no condemnation. There's no judgment. There's no pressure. That might just be where you're at. But God's saying, come on, baby. There's more. There's so much more that if I were really to show you, I'd have to hide you in a rock like Moses. I'd have to hide you in the cleft. Well, here's the good news, guys. That's the invitation to get hidden in the cleft of the rock. His name's Jesus. It's to hide your life in him. It's to be found in him. It's to abide in him. It's to experience him. But it's not going to happen if we ignore the panim. If we keep rushing into our day to check off our list of to-dos. It's going to happen if we're willing to wait, to be silent, to be still, 
to set aside time, not because we have to, but because we want to. If that's your heart tonight and you're here and you've just been in a season of dryness, I want to speak forth that there is more than enough waiting for you in his presence. In the panim of God, there is everything that you've been searching for and hungry for. And I want to speak prophetically into your life tonight. Because you came tonight on a Valentine's Day thinking you were going to hear a nice little sermon about love. And you have. You've heard how much God loves you, that he turns his face and his presence towards you, that you're the apple of his eye, that you're on his mind, that he knows the hairs on your head, that he's interested in you, that he's waiting for you. That is a story of love. But maybe you've just been stuck because you went to a church or you were a part of a group that told you you had to do it this way and you have all these steps and you have this ladder and you've got all these rules and it, it just it's just overwhelming. And it's just too much. And Jesus is saying to you tonight, as the expressed panim of God that's come to you and I through his spirit, come and drink and thirst no more. Come hunger and be filled. And if that's you tonight, if you're hungry for more of God, I just want you to stand on your feet. I know I'm, I'm asking you to do something publicly that maybe you're not comfortable to do, but I'm gonna stand on my feet. I'm standing on my feet. And I want you to close your eyes and I want you to lift, lift your hands to heaven and I want to pray the ironic priestly blessing over your life. The Lord bless you and the Lord keep you and the Lord make his face to shine upon you and the Lord be gracious to you and the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and the Lord give you peace. God, we receive your peace tonight. We receive your blessing tonight. We receive your presence. And we thank you that you're here now. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at courageouschurch.com.